Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is 3PL Selection 101, a step-by-step guide with my friend Matt Hertz. Matt is the co-founder of a company called Second Marathon. And at Second Marathon, they're a consulting firm that helps brands pick the right warehousing and fulfillment partner. And guys, as we all know, one of the biggest problems in warehousing and fulfillment right now is the wrong fit. Brands are picking the wrong 3PLs and 3PLs are picking the wrong brands. That mismatch has caused all sorts of problems. If you want to avoid those problems, talk to my friend Matt Hertz. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about the TMSA conference that's coming up in Savannah, Georgia, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And TMSA is Transportation Marketing and Sales Association. And they're having a conference called Elevate. It's down in Savannah, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And it's all about learning, networking, getting inspired, having a good time, meeting the very top marketers in our space. And all the people who know how to grow your sales, they are at this conference. So it's a great event if you're trying to grow your sales and who isn't trying to grow their sales. So tmsatoday.org is the website. I will put a link to it in the show notes. I hope to see you down there. I will definitely be down there. So how's it going, Matt? It's going very well. Pleasure to be here, Jeff. I'm very happy to talk to you today. So Matt, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. So my name is Matt Hertz. Uh, I started a company about six or seven years ago called uh, Second Marathon, where we work with brands, uh, mostly e-commerce brands, but many multi-channel brands, solve a lot of complex supply chain challenges, mostly helping them find their first or next uh, 3PL partner. And I am based in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Very nice. Very nice. So tell me, where'd you get the name Second Marathon? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we wanted to be a little clever with the name and and not having it sound like a traditional professional services business with uh, one's initials or or name in the title. So Second Marathon is really, uh, you know, a hat tip or a note to the second chapter of our careers, the second marathon of our careers, where my uh, business partner and I, for the first chapter of our careers, we were full-time employees, operators at a handful of different startups, helping them scale and develop from within a lot of fun, learn a lot of great experiences and lessons. And we decided to put our heads together to start Second Marathon to not only be our, our own bosses and be, you know, run our own business, but help brands scale and, and solve a lot of challenges from a, a consulting perspective. Yep. And who's your partner and how'd you guys get connected? Sure. So my, my, my partner, Ryan Bellinger, he's actually based around the corner from you, Joe, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ah, very nice. You said he's a Spartan though, right? He is a Spartan. So you I like the not... Spartans. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, you know, you may not perfectly see eye to eye. I know you. I, know um, I got a daughter who went to Michigan State. <laughs> Fair enough. So, so it's in your family, and we, and we actually met um, in, in the Bay Area. You know, we were we were both living in San Francisco at the time. I was at a logistics startup called Ship, and uh, Ryan was uh, leading supply chain at Everlane. And we 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 met through a mutual friend at a ops networking event, and uh, yeah, just just sort of hit it off. You know, I, I started doing some consulting 
Uh, shortly thereafter, Ryan continued working at Everlane and about a year or maybe 18 months after we first met, we decided to put our heads together and uh, develop and scale a second marathon together. Very nice. Very nice. So why don't you give us some career highlights about you? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Some, and give us some career highlights before you started your company. Sure. I'm a Canuck. So just a little further uh, north from, from, from Michigan, Joe, I was, I was born and raised up in Toronto. Uh, went to college in uh, Montreal at, at McGill University. Is that the best university up in Canada? You know, I don't want to say that, but I, you know, I'm told that's what it was. You know, I'm surprised they let me in if that's the case. But a, a friend of mine told me, he goes, it's kind of like the Harvard of Canada. And I was like, well, I was like, Harvard's kind of like the Harvard of Canada. Because a lot of the Canadians are we're all back and forth over the border. So, but uh, yeah, it's a great university. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. You know, Montreal is a beautiful city. It's it's a very cold city, um, cold and from you're a temperature from, you're perspective. You're from Toronto, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Snow, snow and ice and frigid temperatures. That's why I left and moved down to the south. But uh, nonetheless, I actually majored in finance in in college, and then at at 22, moved down to New York, uh, where I, I I started my career in finance. Did that for a couple of years, but. Got bored of it because, well, it's finance and uh, found myself joining uh, what became the first startup I was a part of, the first e-commerce company, uh, Rent the Runway, which is a women's uh, dress rental business. That's a famous company. It's, it's, it's done very well. You know, it's been very successful. It's now a publicly traded company. You know, unfortunately, it's had a lot of the same headwinds that other, you know, e-commerce, you know, publicly traded e-commerce brands have had, but has been, you know, runaway success. And so I was, I was their, their fifth or sixth employee, their first operations hire. Did not know anything about operations when I joined, but you know, I'm not quite sure why I got the job, but I did. And you know, operations is something that you can learn, and it's, it's also very painfully. <laughs> painful. That's that's true. You know, very much so. You know, spending the first year of of my operations career inside a, a dry cleaners where Rent the Runway was in that heat, you know, fulfilling orders was uh, not the most. Uh, glamorous of all jobs, but it was uh, a ton of fun. I learned a lot and used that as an opportunity to meet uh, the co-founders of uh, Birchbox, which is a subscription. Another big successful company. I shouldn't say big, but very successful uh, e-commerce brand. By the way, that's a relative term because if you look right now, how many e-commerce companies have done really well? Being in business means you're doing well right now. I think that's fair to say, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a you know difficult uh, you know market environment that 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 gets you know the best of companies too. But I joined I joined Birchbox as their first full time employee. What does Birchbox do? So Birchbox is a, a subscription commerce brand. I know there's been some challenges with that business just in the last couple months, but you know the business started in 2010 as a subscription. Uh, business. So every month you'd get, you know, your box of uh, mostly women's uh, beauty samples, you know, lipsticks and different cosmetics. They, they, they launched a men's line as well about a year or two in. And I, I was responsible for supply chain there, you know, as the first employee, uh, you know, oversaw shipping, fulfillment, packaging, procurement, planning, a couple other functions there, and ultimately helped the business scale to about a million orders a month. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was tremendously successful. Uh, we worked with several three uh, PLs throughout that experience. You know, I was I was responsible to lead the the RFPs each time. It taught me a, a a great deal. You know, when we hit that milestone of about a million orders, I decided to take a job out in uh, San Francisco. Uh, you know, I was very curious about the whole you know Silicon Valley startup environment and and, and scene. So I was 
lucky to get an offer to join uh, a logistics startup called uh, Ship S H Y P. They've been pretty successful too, right? Yeah, they 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 were they were very successful. Um, you know, Ship was uh, you know the hottest startup in America for about six weeks in uh, early 2015, and then had a uh, per, you know a, a precipitous uh, falling out, but. Oh, I didn't know that. There's so many of those names. I, I, I honestly must be getting them confused because I was thinking <laughs> I was one of the winners. But yeah, it, it, you know, for for me, you know, selfishly, it was it was it was a winner. You know, I don't I don't necessarily think of winning as as uh, you know how much money can I make. I mean, obviously, financial success is is uh, oftentimes important and it's a measure of success. But for me, at a young age, you know, when I was you know at that point in my late twenties. You know, after coming off two businesses that were very successful and were, you know, were still successful, Rent the Runway and Birchbox, it was very, um, I don't know if rewarding is the right term, but it was, it was. Um, it's a growth experience for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was good to be part of a business and, and, and to see that not everything always works out perfectly. And, uh, you know, not all businesses succeed. So it was, it was good to kind of have that experience to you know, map against, you know, some of the successes that I had earlier in my career. Yeah. I think especially out in Silicon Valley and San Francisco, and I think the startup culture in general just kind of recognizes this is a, this is a moonshot and hopefully it works, but if it doesn't, no shame, we'll, we'll, we'll pack it up and start again. And, you know, we've had a crazy time, you know, we throw in COVID and throw in this downturn that we're experiencing right now companies grew like a weed and then had to shrink <laughs> in some cases. And uh, yeah, to your point, there's no, there's no shame in any of it. So when and why did you start second marathon? You know, back in um, it was, it was fall of 2017. I actually, you know, speaking of being a Canadian um, you know, I was always on uh, different uh, work visas and I think September, October, 2017, I got my green card. So for those, you know, unfamiliar with that process, you know, the green card essentially gives you or gave me the opportunity to be uh, self-employed, frankly, to be unemployed, as us millennials often say, self-employed and, and, and to sort of take a pause and, and, and not necessarily be a W-2, you know, full-time employee and, and, and be sponsored by your employer. So I said, yep. That's great. You know, after spending the first, at that point, the first 10 years of my career working, you know, 80, 100 plus hour weeks at different startups, I said, yes, finally I can catch my breath. I can take a pause. I did that for about seven days and then said, I'm bored. You know, there's only so much, uh, you know, Netflix I can, I can, I can watch and, 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 uh, you know, whatnot and, you know, how many walks I can take around. So I, I, I started doing a little bit of advising and consulting. I, I noticed pretty quickly that the skill set that I had developed over the prior years working at a handful of these startups was very much in demand. You know, e-commerce was, you know, I feel like we're still early innings, but, you know, six, seven years ago, we were in earlier innings of, of e-commerce. And, you know, I was, I was very fortunate to have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and, and founders and CEOs come to me saying, hey, Matt, can you help us? Can you help us? with this shipping project? Can you help us with this fulfillment project? Can you, can you help us, you know, do a, a analysis on our, on our boxes, you know, on, on, on the packaging that we're using? So I said, yes, yes. And yes, you know, I was still paying San Francisco rent and didn't have a, <laughs> you know, didn't, didn't, didn't have a paycheck coming in every, every, every Friday. So I had to, 
I had to work hard to, uh, you know, keep, keep the cash flow coming. So, you know, long story short, you know, quickly, you know, one engagement led to two, which led to four, which led to 10. And, you know, I started saying no to, to opportunities because the unfortunate news of running a consulting business is that it's really difficult to scale. It scales fairly linearly with people. You know, there are only 24 hours in a day. It's not a SaaS company or an internet company that can scale, you know, logarithmically. So I decided about 18 months into being a, a solopreneur or, you know, starting the business or running the business myself that, you know, if I wanted to scale this and take on more engagements, I had to add people, add resources. So at that time, you know, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Joe, I got reconnected with, you know, with a friend of mine. And at that point, I had already moved to uh, Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, where I am today. You know, I moved, I moved here about a year after I started the business. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I hooked back up with my, my now business partner, Ryan. And Ryan was looking to, you know, leave Everlane, the startup he was at previously. And, you know, we, we said, look, you know, we have, we have very similar skill sets, but also very different interests. You know, he comes from more of a, you know, finance background, you know, more execution oriented. I tend to be more sort of BD and sales and external facing. So we said this, this makes a lot of sense to put our heads together and really, you know, develop, you know, processes and tools to enable a second marathon to scale more effectively. So we've been partners for, you know, almost five years now, maybe four and a half years, five years. And, you know, the business is um, as big as it's ever been. Excellent, excellent. Well, I was introduced to you by our mutual friend, Dusty Holcomb. I asked him on my podcast, who do who should I interview? I like to interview smart, interesting people, and people are killing it, and he suggested you. So I'll ask you the same question in a few minutes, But and I know the answer to this, but not everybody gives it a lot of thought. Why, um, why does anybody need your help to hire a 3PL? They're all out there. I, I go on LinkedIn. I can find, I can find a 3PL every 15 minutes for the rest of the day. So why do they need your help? There's, there are so many e-commerce newbies out there. And I don't mean that to sound like a pejorative or, or, you know, a well, it's a fast growing space. It's a fast growing space show. And, you know, platforms like Shopify, Amazon and others make it so darn easy, pardon my French, but, you know, make it so darn easy to, to start a business. You know, someone like myself, who's not very technical, who's not overly sophisticated when it comes to, you know, programming and, and, and you know, development, I can start a pretty good looking website within a matter of hours after our conversation today. I could start taking orders and, you know, I sell a few things on, on, on eBay. I have a, a little, you know, sports card and collectible business. It's just a hobby of mine. And, you know, this morning I had eight orders I had to fulfill from, you know, last night with, with my auctions closing. And, you know, I woke up and I said, oh, crap, now I have, you know, eight eight orders I have to fulfill and I have to pair the cards. And like eight is not a lot, but it's, you know, the point is that it's so easy to generate sales, maybe not billions of dollars of sales, but sales online. And the final frontier of friction in the e-commerce experience, I believe, is is fulfillment. It's logistics. It's the hard part. <laughs> Absolutely. And many, many brands, I mean, I've, you know, across the, the hundred plus brands that we've supported at Second Marathon, you know, formally, and the many more that we've, you know, friends of mine and, you know, my, my, my wife is a COO of a business and, you know, others in our, in our network who've, who've come to us saying, hey, man, you know, can you help us with this? Or what do you think about that? 
so many brands are started by sales and marketing people. And that's because those are really important functions. I can have a great product or a great service, but if I can't sell it, who the heck cares? So sales and marketing is so important. But the downside of that is, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, stereo, you know, overly stereotype, but a lot of sales and marketing people don't know the first thing about logistics and fulfillment. I just like, I don't know a whole lot about marketing, right? You know, I don't know a whole lot about IT and development. Right. And when you think about the skill set driving traffic to a website, creating a great website that convinces people to put something in that basket and buy it, those are all different and obviously critical. And that is not easy. Creating all those, not easy, but that's what they do. And if you're really good at that, you're probably not really good at logistics. And so I always say it gets ugly once you put it in the basket and say, buy it, because now it, it stops being electronic bits and bytes and starts being real and selecting a 3PL we've we've all seen the growth of th- fulfillment type 3PLs when we're talking about 3PLs we're talking about warehousing and fulfillment but on my podcast and it's come up a lot lately is there's this ton of e-commerce companies grew during the, the last three four five years and a lot of 3PLs grew to help support them but what we all find is just because you have a, a e-commerce product doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to find the right 3PL. And 3PLs, a lot, especially a lot of the small ones, said yes to everything. And then they got to a certain size and they said, oh, my God, I said yes to Joe and I said yes to Matt. But those guys, they are not a good fit anymore. So a lot of 3PLs are now saying we won't work with anyone below a certain size. And if Matt and Joe are overly needy, and by the way, there's no shame in that. That's just what we want. We need somebody to hold our hand. There's certain kind of companies, 3PLs, that say, I don't want to work that way. And I would also say that um, there's been a great awakening of the recognition that if you're a 3PL, you should say no a lot more. And nobody in sales (laughs) wants to say no to anything. You're right, Joe. It, it's, it's, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you know, and I know we're both entrepreneurs, um, you know, speaking for myself, it's really difficult when a brand comes to us and says, hey, I love what you guys do. I love your services. Can you help? And, you know, we, we, we have a, you know, introductory call just to vet the opportunity. And, you know, my partner and I look at each other and, you know, for any number of reasons, we say, you know what, we just, we just don't think this is the right fit for us. You know, maybe, maybe we're at capacity, maybe, you know, there's other red flags and, you know, we, I don't even get into that right now, but there, there are a number of reasons why, you know, we, they're too small. You can't help them either. And that's, this is the, correct. I talked to a lot of 3PLs, of course, but I talked to a lot of shippers and shippers will say, no one will work with me and, or 3PLs fire them. So I've been working with somebody and they get booted. And by the way, the best companies out there, in the logistics space, some of, I won't say best, some of the biggest. Amazon in recent years has said, here's who works best for our model, fulfillment by Amazon. Not everybody gets to play. We've also found out UPS and FedEx have said, we're going to change the rules. And they usually don't say, we won't work with you. They just raise the price to the point where you don't want to work with them. <laughs> and so it's, I think you have to realize not everybody's a good customer. And conversely, not every 3PL is a good fit. Correct. And, and, you know, Joe, to answer, you know, just to go back to your, to your question a moment ago, so many brands, and we know this because the fir- one of the first questions we ask brands when they come to us 
you know, we have it in our, you know, initial intake form, you know, you know, qualifying form is, you know, how did you find your first 3PL? And the most common answer is Google, right? Or, you know, I, I, I think the second most common answer is, you know, a Facebook group or, or a Reddit, a Reddit uh, forum or thread. And that works out for some people, but part of the challenge that, and, and frankly, we are thankful that this exists because we've made a business out of helping brands find their first or next 3PL partner. But, you know, it's a problem when, you know, so many 3PLs in the last few years, when, when the market was red hot for 3PLs and 3PLs were raising venture capital, which it just still to this day uh, amazes me that, you know, an asset based, a CapEx heavy business can raise venture and venture multiples, you know, where, where these, these are historically private equity businesses and only those that are profitable. Many 3PLs today are not profitable, but, you know, I don't want to throw anyone or, or, or any 10 under the bus because everyone's a little bit different. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, if you just Google and I, you know, I, I challenge you, I challenge the listeners to Google right now, I don't know, best e-commerce 3PL or top 3PLs and, you know, above the fold, you know, the first 10 results on Google will be sponsored, will be ads. And again, I'm not going to name names because that that's that's not appropriate, but you know, just, just Google that and so much of this capital that 3PLs have raised in the last few years have gone towards, you know, SEO and marketing and Google. So, you know, and, and you know, I was listening to, um, in the, you know, you mentioned Dusty from, from you know, CEO of Red Stag. You know, I was listening to his podcast a short while ago and, you know, with, with Red Stag, they are, they are, they're specialists in a certain subset of the market. Yeah, they're subscription boxes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That subscription boxes is Paul Jarrett, who I just talked to, but Dusty, they're the big and bulky small parcels. And what I loved about what Dusty, sorry about that, Dusty, if you're listening, but um, what I love about what the Red Stag's doing is they're doing big and bulky small parcels and they say no to other stuff and they picked a niche and they stay in it. And by the way, Paul Jarrett and the guys over at Bulu Group out in Lincoln, Nebraska, they do subscription boxes and they do it really well. And they don't do other stuff. I don't think they don't. That's majority of their business is the subscription boxes. And could these companies do anything they want? Yeah, they're very successful companies, but they've picked a lane and stayed in it. And I love that because I think this is where the, I think this is what the market needs. Because right now, if I, you and I decided we want to do a birch box, like, and you have experience in it, boy, you could go to a lot of 3PLs and they're like, oh yeah, we can help you with the subscription box. And, and they're, they're Googling it, trying to figure out how, what, what's required. Or we can go to Paul and his team out at Bulu and they'd be like, yeah, I'll tell you how to be successful. I'll teach you. <laughs> exactly. I like, I like going to specialists, right? It's like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this on the fly, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if you need some specialty surgery or operation, you know, you need, I don't know, let's be extreme and say, you know, an open heart surgery, you're probably not going to your, you know, family doctor for that procedure, right? Because it's, it's a specialty, right? This doctor, he or she is famous for the open heart surgery or the, I don't know, bone marrow transplant or, you know, whatever it might be. And I feel, you know, not to draw too many comparisons between surgery and health and, and, and three PLs, but, 
you know, the point is that, you know, I, I believe that the most successful businesses in this country are those that are famous for something. And I think you get, you know, the way you're famous for something is how consumers, how your customer perceives you to be. So when I think of your business, there should be one or two things, at least one, maybe multiple things that immediately come to mind. And, you know, you think of Amazon, like them or hate them, I tend to like them. Certainly as a consumer, I like them a lot. They have a big share in my wallet. When you think of Amazon, there's there's probably four or five things that immediately come to mind that they're famous for. You know, breadth of logistics, speed of logistics, price, uh, selection, speed of checkout, reliability, you know, returns, right? There's there's a handful of things, right? You know, going back to Dusty, because we mentioned him in Red Stag, when, when we're working with brands and helping them with the with the curation, with the discovery of who are the best three PLs for Joe's widget company, we spend much of our time, you know, our, at Second Marathon, our version of R and D, you know, we don't we don't work in a lab. Our version of R and D is meeting with as many three PLs as possible, as reasonable and as possible, so that when a brand comes to us with a specific profile, this is their order volume. These are the sales channels, you know, Shopify plus Amazon plus QVC plus Macy's plus Costco. This is where they want to be geographically. This is what matters to them from a visibility and IT perspective. This is what they want from account management. They also have, you know, they, they need engraving or, or embroidery for their product, so on and so forth. We're able to really effectively distill this universe of literally thousands and thousands of warehouses here in the United States, down to just a handful that we know are qualified to support you. And that is very different than the path or the funnel that many brands follow, which is just Googling because, you know, SEO is going to just pick up anything. Yeah. And I would also say, I've said it on my podcast many times, but I always feel like I don't want the 3PL I pick to learn on my dime. I want to go to someone who specializes in what I do. So getting back to it, if I'm if I'm shipping big and bulky small parcels, I'm going with Dusty and the herd over there at Red Stag. If I'm doing the subscription boxes, I go out to Lincoln, Nebraska with Bulu Group. I, I mentioned those because they come to mind, but there's a whole bunch of other companies that have specializations. And I always say, go with somebody who's special. If, if I could just say one thing, and again, you, you, I'm sure you have a million other things that you... I've learned, but if I could say do one thing, pick someone who does what you do as a specialty. So say I ship, I ship food to houses. I don't want to go to a place that says, yeah, we can figure that out. <laughs> I want to go to somebody who says, that's 40% of our business is shipping food to houses. All right, good. You know it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and look, you know, I, I, I admire an entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, we work with, you know, a handful of three PLs that, you know, we'll, we'll introduce them to an opportunity and maybe it is the first time they've seen it. Or, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a three PL that we do a lot of business with right now that is really focused on value added services. So they do a lot of engraving and embroidery in house and we're working with them right now, kind of on the tail end of an RFP with a, with, a, with a food company that requires temp control. And they don't have temp control today, but because they are 
entrepreneurial and that they do things, you know, they focus on value added services and they, and they do a lot that they take on a lot that other three PLs don't take on and run away from. We are comfortable that they will be able to support oh, this, yeah. this client very well. Yeah. I talked to speaking of another specialty. I talked to Courtney Folk from uh, renewal logistics down in Georgia and they specialize in apparel and they have a dry cleaning background. So they, if something needs to be dry cleaned and they do run across customers who said, we need, we got mold on this, some of these clothes and we either can scrap them or clean them. And they also have a background in fire restoration. So they're used to doing stuff that other people can't do and they do it in a big way. So they end up with tons of apparel business because they understand that business like the back of their hand. And I think it's like 80 or 90% of the business they do, but that's who you want to work with. You don't want to work with someone who's trying to figure it out on your dime. Anyway, let's switch gears. I want to talk so again today's topic, 3PL Selection 101, a step-by-step guide with my friend Matt. Matt, before we hit record, we talked about kind of a, some, a process. And I'm going to read this out real quick, and then we can kind of go through this. But following this step-by-step process is good, but I will also throw this out there. Knowing what to do in each one of these, having the criteria for selection, knowing the questions to ask, knowing what 3PLs are out there, that is kind of that's the hard stuff. The process I'm going to read here isn't the step-by-step guide. I could give this to you and it's not necessarily going to get you there. And I'm not saying you absolutely positively need Matt Hertz, but probably not a bad idea. But we talked about, and I probably have these, maybe there's an extra step or missing a step, but talked about the discovery phase, which is understanding what your customer needs. We talked about curation. And I think curation is, is that understanding what three PLs we should consider? Correct. Yeah, that that's that. You, you know, once we go through the discovery stage, or you know, we kind of call that. Uh, you know, we, we we often say preparation. You know, really preparing. You know, understanding what do we really need? <laughs> exactly. And 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 you know, no two brands are the same, right? You know, we often use the analogy that it's kind of like um, you know finding colleges, right? You know, when when you know, I think you mentioned Joe, your daughter went to or is going to Michigan State. I have a Spartan in the family, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know what 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 made her go to Michigan State in the end, or you know, let me let me let me say this another way. You know, there are there are many colleges here in the United States, right? You know, you have some of the big state schools like a Michigan State you know, big sports, big academics. And then you have, you know, maybe the smaller liberal arts colleges or the Ivy League programs that don't have the big, you know, 80,000 foot or, or uh, capacity football stadiums. Right. They're all good programs. They're all great schools. It's just what's the right fit for you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the kid, the student that that really thrives off going to, you know, Harvard College is probably not the same student that's going to get excited about going to University of Michigan or Michigan State because it's just a different profile. And that's and that's very similar when you think about three PLs. It's not to say one is better than the other. It's just different. So Yeah, that's that's so true is when they always say stuff like the best college in America. It's like that's like saying like the best wife or girlfriend or best boyfriend. You're like taste enters into For it. Who? Yeah. Yeah. What's important to you? Yeah. So the discovery phase, what I like about having someone like you guys involved is you're going to ask them questions about them that, that you have insights on because you've done it a hundred times and they have, they don't know the questions even to ask of themselves. And then when we talk about curation, you're talking about who do we get involved in this situation, right? Who do we, who do we talk to? They got their, they got the five names they found from Google and their 
brother-in-law suggested another one. You're going to go and say, for your type of business, this is who we believe we should involve in the process. Then talk a little bit about the RFP. When you're creating an RFP with your customers, what do you do? So I always say RFP is request for proposal. I've heard other people say, well, we call it request for partnership. Others request for price. (laughs) So I don't know what you guys call it, but I've heard of all the above. Yeah, we're not, we're, we're a little, little unconventional. We, we sort of come from startups and, you know, approach things a little bit differently than maybe some of the, the larger bulge bracket uh, consulting firms. We, I don't even think that we use the term RFP in any of our communications with, with three PLs and, and, and with our clients. So our version of the RFP, we call it the business overview. And it's, it's essentially, and you know, we've, we've gotten this feedback. If you go on our website, we actually have testimonials and quotes from clients and 3PLs. And we think it's important to have 3PLs providing testimonials because, you know, we are essentially a marketplace, right? We work with both brands and your sales channel. Exactly. So we call it a business overview and the feedback we've gotten from 3PLs is, is wonderful. Um, you know, they, they love working with us because our process is so efficient. It's simplified. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to use that word simple simplified because it makes it seem like we've cut corners. We don't, but our, 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 you know, you know, I'm using air quotes here. Our RFP is essentially, I don't know, a five or six or seven page uh, document, you know, PDF, which summarizes the opportunity there's no work for the 3PL to do to, you know, we've seen uh, RFPs where it's a big Excel workbook with 20 tabs and, you know, hundred rows on each tab where, you know, requiring the 3PL to fill out a, you know, to talk about their, their pest control protocol. And, you know, when was, and, you know, that's just table stakes, right? You know, we know you have a sprinkler system, you know, we, we, we really don't care about, you know, some of that stuff. We we provide we proactively provide all the information that we believe the three PL needs to understand the opportunity. Knowing that most brands we support are startup brands, most most brands are sub five or six years old. So their business and and many of many of them are are, are truly startups. They're they're less than one year old. Some of them are pre launch, and their businesses are going to change dramatically over the next six, twelve, twenty four months. So for us to get overly entrenched in the data while data is important and good. And we, we get historicals, you know, uh, uh, inventory velocity reports and outbound detail reports and inbound details reports. We believe that what's most important is for the client and the three PL, you know, not only for the client to meet the, the ideal client profile of the three PL. So to be qualified based on what's important and the types of brands and customers of the three PL seeking, but also, you know, you mentioned a moment ago, Joe, you know, it's like finding a, a significant other, you know, it's like entering a relationship, right? Like, you know, there's, there's certain things that, you know, you might, you might discuss during, you know, a date, you know, sort of qualifying this person and understanding culturally, is this the right fit? Is this the type of, you know, we, we, we tell a brand that, you know, go out there and visit the facility, walk the floor, get to know them, talk to the receiving manager, talk to the GM and the director. These are the people that are running your business day in and day out. Yeah, you don't want to skimp on this. And I will throw this out there. You mentioned um, the business overview of the RFP. And and it really, so if you're talking about over-the-road trucking, 
And a lot of times when we talk about RFP, you look and say, well, one trucking company, more or less, if they've got it, as long as assuming they've got similar safety profiles, I, if the one's going to save me 400 bucks, I'm going with them. I don't care. It's different when you get in, we're into this business because this is more, I'll throw this out there. This is more matchmaker than it is. And you use the, the dating analogy and I'll throw this out there is when you pick a 3PL to manage your fulfillment, it's a marriage. It's not, you're not dating, you're not engaged. This is a marriage. So you have to enter in with a lot more scrutiny. And it's the same, you know, we, we all have transactional over the road stuff. And I guess we're okay with that spot quote. And then we've contracted and then we have managed trans. And if I'm going manage trans or I'm going to have a fulfillment, I'm going to spend the time to make sure I pick the right partner. And um, so it's not just be like, hey, we, we picked these guys because they're the cheapest or, you know, one attribute. It's going to be a, some sort of balanced scorecard, I take it. And you say, we made this decision on as much objective data. And I'll throw another thing out there. You guys are able to be that objective voice. So you're taking somebody through this process and you're saying, yeah, okay, I hear, I do this every day. So I've heard this before and I'm looking at it a little differently than you are, right? <laughs> you're not going to let anybody be taken advantage of. Not, by the way, that's not to assume that most people are trying to take advantage, but salespeople, it's their job to bring opportunities. And so, and it's most of us have a hard time saying, we can't do that or we shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. When when we are, you know, not only are we experts in matchmaking and, and you know, qualifying leads for 3PLs, making really effective matches, you know, we're kind of like that, you know, back in the day when, you know, prior to the Expedias and the Hotels.com and the online travel agencies, you would call a travel agent and say, hey, you know, here's my budget. Here's what I'm looking for curated vacation for me. You know, it's very much a white glove experience. You know, you're, you're talking to them back and forth. This travel agent is sort of that liaison between you and the hotel and the flights. We're kind of similar when it comes to, you know, 3PL. So we don't believe that fully automating this process is, is, is prudent. It's, it's just not possible, right? That's what Google does. Google, Google helps with discovery, but it doesn't, it doesn't help understand what's most important to you. And, you know, there's sort of like a, you know, a, 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 a spectrum of what's important to each brand, right? There's some brands that come to us and we don't love working with these brands. And, and frankly, this is when we say no more often than not, when a brand is just looking for a cheaper alternative. Because as the old adage goes, you know, you get what you pay for oftentimes. Now, when we're doing RFPs, sometimes the low cost leader and the proposals is the best option for that brand. But while price is important, you know, I've never met an operator that says, charge me more. That's not always most important, right? I, you know, I always joke that, you know, if there was a 3PL that said, you know what, Matt, for your company, I'm not going to charge you a dime. I'm going to ship every order free, but it's going to take two weeks to get out every order. And I'm only going to be 50% accurate. I don't think that 3PL will be very successful. Now, I know I'm saying that tongue in cheek and using some hyperbole there, but, you know, the point is, is that, you know, certain brands want, you know, a, a direct account management and, 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 you know, other brands are, are, you know, really focused on having, you know, robust uh, WMS and, and, you know, IT systems and, and so on and so forth. 
I've observed this in my travels when I was advising 3PLs. They kept saying, why do they need that guy? I don't want that guy. So how much do we save if we don't have that guy? And I said, you're just looking at that guy as an ops guy or an engineer. And you're looking and saying he's cost 150 grand or 200 grand a year, whatever. But you should look at that guy. If he's, if it's managed right, that guy who is 150 grand to the project could save a million dollars next year if it's for a large company. So I always say those, those guys shouldn't be always looked at as a, a, an extra cost because sometimes they're the ones who say, Hey, look, that's the guy who made things smoother and smoother and smoother and went upstream and helped us save money on things we never considered. And that's, that's where the, that's where working with professionals, professionals cost more than amateurs. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, you know, I wish we can get away charging $150,000 in engagement. Unfortunately we can't, you know, we're not a, you know, we're not a McKinsey just yet. I was talking about the guys internal to like the 3PL. Sometimes there's extra heads involved. No, I understand, Joe. Yeah. So anyway, let's let's continue. So we're talking about this, some steps, discovery phase. So that's you guys kind of asking them questions that they probably would never ask themselves. Then there's this curation phase where you say, here's who we want to get involved. Then you guys kind of create that business overview or the RFP. And then you get that distributed to the right companies. And then there's an evaluation where you're looking at all of these, maybe two or three, four, whatever the right number is. And you are helping, you don't make the decision for them, right? You're helping them decide. And you're the objective voice and you're the voice of reason, I like to think, right? Yeah. So our our, our evaluation phase is um, very unique. We have, you know, we've We've been doing this for a number of years, um, you know, as you know, and, you know, I've done it dozens of times over that time uh, period. We, we've created a, a proprietary uh, evaluation tool, which uh, effectively helps analyze, you know, the four or five or six proposals side by side. Uh, as, as, as I'm sure you've seen, Joe, no two 3PLs charge the same way. It's not like pulling up to a gas station and you know, an 87 or, you know, 89, uh, you know, a gallon of gas, you know, you see what it says on the top of the, the billboard and that's what you're paying. And 89 at the Exxon is the same as the 89 at the marathon, right? Like, you know exactly what you're paying. With 3PLs, you know, you, you, you often need a degree in mathematics to really understand uh, costing proposals. You know, some folks charge storage by the pallet by the month, others it's by the cubic foot every every. Tuesday. So it's it's really difficult to understand the proposals. So we have a tool that essentially distills you know the uh, various proposals that we receive into a really nice Excel tool, Excel workbook for brand to be able to flex with different assumptions, you know, different inbound assumptions and outbound assumptions. And you know, we we also provide you know a baseline of what other brands that sort of look and feel like them that have other pricing structures, you know, have paid in the past. So they're able to you know we're able to help them. Uh, provide, you know, market benchmarking uh, for this pricing. And then, you know, we hold a series of, of, of meetings with the brand to, you know, review and discuss. And, you know, as, as you sort of alluded to, Joe, uh, given that we are representing the brand and working with the 3PL, 3PLs know that they can't pull a fast one on us. They know that if they throw out some exorbitant fee for something, you know, they, they charge $50 a pallet for them, you know, by the, uh, you know, per month, we're going to call them out on that and say, "Hey guys, you know this is this is unreasonable. The going rate is something much less than that." So, we have the brands. You know, the brand is our is our client, is our fiduciary. We have them in mind when we are getting these proposals, and you know, we like to believe that the proposals that we're able to procure 
for our client are probably better than what the client could get had they reached out to the 3PL directly through their you know contact us page. Right. And I think also the brands, these are companies that you probably work with multiple times. They don't want to burn that bridge and say, you would lose a little bit of respect for them. And they might say, hey, let's not take the chance. Uh, we don't want to be on the wrong side and potentially lose future opportunities. So once they've made the decision, you, you're there to help them. You're there to advise them, but you won't make that decision for them. They ultimately have to make that decision and live with that decision. What's after that? Hey, you're right, Joe. Uh, uh, you know, just just quickly on that point, uh, you know, it is it is a really important one. This decision, we think, is it's it's integral for the client to make themselves. Right. This is a relationship that will hopefully last many years. Right. It's like it's like Joe, if you turned to your friend and said, "Which one of these people should I marry?" Maybe you did that. Maybe you will do that in the future. I know I didn't do that. I made the decision for myself. You know, it's very, it's very, you know, we've, we've never taken a highlighter or a Sharpie and said, Hey, you got to pick three PLB. You know, it's, it's not the relationship that we're going to manage. So it's important for the brand to have that relationship, but we certainly guide and advise and help, help, you know, we, we kind of act as therapists in that way, helping the brand get to the point where they're able to make that final decision. But, you know, through that period, you know, through that decision process, it's helping, helping the brand, you know, sharing with them commercial best practices on the uh, services agreement, you know, often called the MSA, the master services agreement. We're not lawyers, so we can't talk to you about indemnification and insurance, but we can certainly tell you uh, or, you know, discuss, you know, SLAs or uh, what we often see with payment terms uh, termination clauses, you know, what we're currently seeing in the market right now. So we're able to kind of guide them, you know, through that process and then, uh, you know, ultimately uh, allow them to make the final tra- the, the uh, final decision. Then post-decision, you know, this is, this is often the final step in our process. Uh, we've seen a lot of success and this is actually a, a service or, or an extension of our service that we rolled out uh, late last year, um, which we aptly call the transition, which which often includes the onboarding. You know, previously our processes would end, or, or I should say, our, our process ended with the signing of the agreement. So now, you know, Joe's candle company has signed with his favorite three PL. You know, the best three PL for him. They sign the agreement, and second marathon, we we kind of run away and move on to the next engagement. We still do that with some brands, but. More often than not, brands are saying, okay, guys, you've been great. You've been super helpful. But now we actually need your help because we're such a lean team. You know, we're seeing a trend in e-commerce. Uh, the brands that we engage with, they're running really lean teams. They don't have robust operations teams in-house. They like to outsource a lot of their functions, be it marketing, web development, operations. So they're saying, all right, guys. You've been you've been so great and helpful in, in, in helping us get to this point where we're able to sign a new agreement. Can you actually help us transition from maybe our own in-house fulfillment or our incumbent 3PL to this new 3PL and help us onboard? You know, we want you to stay on for three months to help you know establish uh, you, you know make sure that the new 3PL is is adhering to the SLAs that we negotiated and discussed help them kick off the initial monthly business reviews or quarterly business reviews and just ensure that things are seamless before you know you 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 run away and let things you know try to operate on as much autopilot as possible. So 
this, this transition function has been really exciting and allows us to ensure that we don't run away from the process before things are very smooth. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And I think this is where the rubber meets the road. And I, I experienced, I helped companies in the past do this, some of this. And I always remember being in a meeting with the ops team when there was the, the 3PL was saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this, and, and I was like, hold up. That's not what we were. That's not what these guys bought. And they're like, no, no, they don't, they get this. And I go, no, no. And, and then I said, all right, we'll continue. I put myself on mute. I called the sales guy. I go, I'm sending you a link to the, the kickoff meeting. And he goes, why? What's wrong? I go, what's wrong is your ops team doesn't know what you sold us. And no, no shame that happens, but it was um, a good reason for the company to keep someone like me around who was part of the selection and then part of that implementation. And that, that, that's a story kind of old as time because that's where the rubber meets the road. You go, Oh, I thought you were going to do this for us. No, no, we didn't sign up for that. And then you're like, Whoa, that's a cost that we, we thought was off our books. And now it's all of a sudden back on our books. So I like it. And, and that's where, you know, a lot of brands believe that the grass is greener and it sometimes is, it oftentimes is, but, and, you know, this is something we discussed, Joe, you know, before, you know, we, 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 we hit record, but if I were to, uh, you know, if we were playing family feud and, you know, selecting, you know, the top reasons why a client, you know, a brand 3PL relationship goes south or goes sour, I'd say the number one reason that we see it's not performance. It's not cost. Those are often derivatives of the number one reason, which is communication. And or you know, lack so, thereof. <laughs> or lack thereof. Poor communication, not the right communication. We we encourage brands to think of hiring a 3PL or selecting a 3PL as if you are hiring a senior executive at your company or or a direct report. Right? Like treat them like this. This is an extension of your team. You know, would you hire you know, a direct report, you know, a director, you know, if you're the CEO and you're hiring your next VP, this VP might hit all the buckets, might be great, looks great on paper, everything is perfect, the comp is where it needs to be, you know, he or she starts day one, and you're not going to check in with this person until 90 days in, you're, you're just going to let them figure it out? No, absolutely not, right? Like, you're going to talk to your employee every day or every couple of days, right, depending on 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 the needs. And, more often than not, we find that the reason why these relationships go sour so frequently is that, you know, and I think I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but it's it's the brand that believes that, oh, well, you know, I, I'm I'm outsourcing it to an expert. This is a three PL. This is what they do. This is this is what we're paying them to do. This is what they it says on their website that they do fulfillment and kidding and and, and value added. Of course, they're going to do it right, and I could just throw anything at them, and they're going to magically do it. But like, no. Right. And part of the onus is on the 3PL to work hand in hand and collaboratively with the brand to almost serve as a de facto consultant to the brand to help coach and advise them. Hey, you know what? If if you were able to ask your manufacturer to ship product into us in sets of, you know, 12 instead of 18, we'd be able to reduce, you know, X number of pallets in the warehouse or receive product this much faster. Like, Brands are often receptive to that. They welcome that, but 3PLs are often timid or shy to report this information. So 
there needs to be a more cohesive and, and, and a, a stronger partnership between two sides. And I know it's really easy said than done, but I believe that the three PLs that will be most successful over the next few years, over the next decade, are those who really have empathy for what brands are going through and can really act as that true extension of the team. Yep. It reminds me, my son-in-law is an investment counselor and and he jokes that it's it's 10% investment and 90% counselor. And as we're talking about this is so much of like when we're talking about communication and empathy and all this. And those are the soft skills that so often make the difference between a winning team and a losing team when it comes to this, because you really do have to be able to put yourself in the, that brand's shoes and vice versa. I'll say this, Matt, if you're working with me, I always would say to you, I want you to be able to be honest with me, open with me. And, and, but if I snap at you and yell at you every time you do, at some point you go, yeah, I ain't going to do that anymore. And so I always say, if you, if you kill the messenger, they stop coming. So I always think when you're that brand and you treat your 3PL like, like a, a pest and you abuse them every time they make a mistake, they'll stop talking about those mistakes and they'll bury them. And that's that is so that open communication, that rapport. And again, I think that's where you guys want to stay on those transitions. It makes you guys so much better because the next engagement you have, you go, I've been through some transitions where we learned a few things we didn't want to learn. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to summarize this bad boy. Then I want to get your final thoughts on the topic. So talk with Matt Hertz and we're going 3PL Selection 101, a step-by-step guide. And so some steps you guys normally take these brands through that are looking to select a 3PL. There's a discovery process. Then we talked about a curation process where you're kind of going out and finding the right 3PLs that should be part of the bid. Then we have the RFP, or you call it a business overview. And that's really kind of where we're doing a little bit of matchmaking there. We send that RFP or business overview out to those players. And then there's an evaluation phase and you're trying to be objective. That's why you want Matt and his team there. And then you make a decision, the brand makes the decision, you support it. And then there's that transition plan to make sure that everybody gets what they need in that transition. So final thoughts, Matt Hertz. You know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I've, 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 I've mentioned it quite a bit during, during this session, but communication is something that I would, you know, I can't harp enough on. It's, it's so overlooked, and, but yet so important. And you know, of course, you know, we, we are always open to working with, you know, brands of all shapes and sizes. Sure, we are a consulting business. So, uh, you know, typically we have fees associated with supporting brands, but we never start conversations with fees. Always welcome talking to, you know, brands uh, of all shapes and sizes to help help introduce them to a couple 3PLs that might be buried on page 30 of Google that you'd never find yourselves so welcome, welcome any of those uh, uh, introductions and, and and outreach. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll put a link a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your website, and any other links you give me. So, Matt, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the business. Who else should I talk to? Who do you recommend? Well, you know, the first person that uh, there are actually a couple of people that, that that come to mind. One of them is uh, a friend of mine. Kyle Burton, who is the CEO and co-founder of a startup that 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 just exited stealth mode, they're they're now public, called uh, Two Boxes. What do they do? 
they're, they're, they're really focused on the uh, uh, returns uh, aspect of uh, logistics and fulfillment. And unlike a lot of the returns technologies out there, they're really focused on once the return gets back to the warehouse, then what? So they've created a, a really great software that enables uh, associates and 3PLs and brands more effectively, more efficiently process returns back at the warehouse. So you know, it's only a few months old. They've, they've gotten a, a tremendous amount of traction in that time, working with a lot of exciting and progressive 3PLs. So strongly encourage you connecting with Kyle and team. I will. The second person that, that comes to mind is uh, another friend of mine, Maya Benson. She is now a managing director at a, a venture capital firm out of New York called uh, Forum Ventures. She leads the uh, logistics and supply chain investment function at, at Forum. Maya is an operator. She's a practitioner. She's not a VC by training, and I think she'd be uh, really glad that I acknowledge that. She was, I believe, the first employee at Shopify focused on shipping and fulfillment. Uh, certainly, oh, wow. You know, she was she was the global head of shipping and fulfillment at Shopify for five or six years, and really, uh, you know, helped them launch a few of the. Uh, products that have been uh, really successful there. And prior to that, she was an executive at Pitney Bowes. So she has a tremendous amount of shipping and fulfillment and general e-commerce experience. And uh, I think she'd make for a really, really great conversation on this podcast. I would like to talk to Maya and Kyle. So um, thank you for connecting me. And what conferences will we see you guys at? So yeah, we were we were at Manifest earlier this year. Um, I, I know you were there, Joe, but uh, you know I, I didn't get a chance to meet you, so we'll have to wait until next January for that. We tend to too many conferences. You know, we we um, well, there are a few that are in uh, Nashville, which is great. You know, my my home field here, so I I like going to those just for ease. Uh, the Parcel Forum is one that I've that I've, that I've also enjoyed going to. But yeah, Manifest is the one that I, I, I certainly mark on my calendar and really enjoy. You know, I like that it's a, a focus that really aligns well with the, you know the types of brands that we have success with. You know, the other the other conference that we have had success with and enjoyed going to is the Subscription Summit. I think it's called Sub Summit. I believe that's in the fall, and that's where you see a lot of subscription commerce brands showing up. And it's 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 always been a really good. Um, conference for us to, uh, you know, get leads and hang out with uh, old friends from, from my past. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll definitely see it manifest next year. And I think it's the same week as the Super Bowl. So, Oh, interesting. So, and the Super Bowl will be in Vegas next year. So it's going to be very exciting. And uh, yeah, I love, I love manifest. And every time somebody says, Oh, I didn't see you there. I was like, yeah, I, I think I saw two or 300 people, which felt like drinking from a fire hose, but there's, 3,000 plus there. So <laughs> it's a great event. Anyway, well, Matt, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. When again, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your website and any other links you give me. And again, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you, Joe. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.